The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sugov. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday evening, December 12th, 2021, here in Merrick, New York, on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Tonight, we've got Albert coming on at 9.30, so you're not going to want to miss that. But before we begin, first, got to shout out my man Brian Graves. Brian, how are we doing tonight? Got the thumbs up from Brian? That's the first thing. We always need that. But before we begin, I want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, basically anywhere you listen to your podcast. Now that, we, now that we've got the house cleaning out of the way, uh, let's, uh, let's jump right into it. We're getting towards the end of football season, and with that comes the NFL playoffs, comes the college bowl games. But there's always one game that always stands out to me in December. It's not, it's not the Sugar Bowl, it's not the Cotton Bowl, or any of the, any of the other New Year's Six games. It's a game between two military academies that will never ever be a part of the national playoff conversation, but on the second Saturday in December every year, they get their moment. And I'm talking about the Army-Navy game, which occurred yesterday at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, which the Navy won 17-13. It was their first win since 2019, and Navy had a bit of a down year this year. They were 3-8 and going into the game. Army was 8-3. and Army was favored by seven, and Navy went in there and beat them. But more importantly, I got to see that. I got to see the 122nd meeting between the two academies live. I mean, I say that a little bit because I was literally at the top of the stadium, and if I was any further, I might have, I might have, I could have probably touched the M on Met, on the MetLife Stadium. So I was seeing a lot of dots, but I was there. And everything that goes into the Army-Navy game is so interesting, where you have all the pageantry of all the cadets and all the midshipmen getting out there and, you know, getting to see their teams play, the, you know, the bands playing their, playing their marches, the joint choirs doing the national anthem. It, it's all very, it's very exciting. It's so, it's so cool to see that these two schools get their moment where the entire nation is watching them because they are the only game on. And that they've been doing this since the 1890s. Basic, so for a full century and a quarter, they have been at this for years and years and years. And those who are lucky enough to see it, it really is like a sports bucket list item. You know, people will say, oh, you know, like, I want to go to a World Series game. I want to go to a championship in, in basketball. I want to, I want to go to the Super Bowl. For any sports fan, the Army Navy game should be right there. 
it's it's not your typical football game where you're going to see an air raid attack and the final score is going to be 47 to 41 and you know both teams are thrown for 400 yards now army and navy play a very different style because they do have they have size requirements cuz you know they're going they're going to be serving a different purpose rather than going to the NFL so you see a lot of their players are are like uh, like average human size and not Mackay Beckton's six seven three forty size. So they play a lot of they play triple options. So it, it's a lot of running. You know, quarterback has multiple options, hence the phrase triple option, where he can hand it off to the he can hand it off to the running back. He can run it himself. He can pitch it out to a wide receiver. He's got plays, and that's very confusing defensively if you've never seen it before. That's why you'll see the military academies will occasionally take those, get those upsets against big time schools because they don't know how to defend it because they don't see it. I, I, to my knowledge, I can only think of one P5 team that uses the triple option and that's Georgia Tech. And I, I remember seeing that live and it, it, it confused the hell out of me. So now getting to see two teams do it, it was just so much more different, but really, really a lot of fun. Like the, I say, like the, the guys that are on the field, you know, they're they're playing football today. Tomorrow, they're they could be halfway around the world, you know, defending defending what we as Americans hold hold dear to our dear to us. And it, it was it was very cool. You know, at, at the end of the game, you know, Navy wins. And part of the tradition of the game is that both schools sing their alma maters to the fans after the game. And you know, hearing the hearing the teams do that, it, it just kind of put a puts a cap on what a truly amazing day Army Navy Day is. You know, you have you have College Game Day out there, and they have all the military vehicles in the background of the set. So, like they had they had a full on tank, they had a helicopter. They had, I think they had a Humvee there, if I remember correctly. I have to go back and check through all my pictures again. And they, they had the flyover. You had the Navy jets and and the Black Hawk helicopters that that go over the stadium. So just like everything that goes to that, I I would I would say if you're a sports fan, you need to see that live once if you get the opportunity. If you can make it to Philadelphia, if you can make it to Baltimore, or if they come here again go it's something that you won't regret you may you may not you may not necessarily have a you may not have a team in that game that you're actively rooting for but it doesn't matter because it's about what you're seeing on the field and what it all means just as a sports fan like overall i like i said i recommend it it is so much fun to watch and that was probably the best football that has been played at metlife stadium this year because unfortunately, and you know, stop me if you heard this one before. The other teams that play at MetLife Stadium don't play good football. In fact, they're downright awful. As I, the grounds crew did a great job. I saw Woody Johnson posted the video, you know, like a speed, sped up time lapse of the grounds crew working all night to get the field ready from the Army Navy colors. One end zone blue, one end zone black, to Jet Green, just in time to watch the New York Jets 
not get into the end zone at all. Like, not once. As they fell 30-9 to to the New Orleans Saints. And with that loss, eliminated from the playoffs for the 11th straight year. 11. No other team has more than 5 right now. And the Jets are double that. They have the longest streak in the NFL. It's tied for their own longest streak of not making the playoffs from when they didn't go from 1970 through 1980. And this is a league where turnover is very quick and teams can get, teams can get into the playoffs. And yet the Jets just cannot get out of their own way. And look, I, it's, it's just not good. Zach Wilson was unimpressive today, going, throwing 19 of 42 for 200 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. I mean, at least he didn't, at least he didn't turn the ball over. But he wasn't moving the ball. And I, I, I get it. It's hard to do that when you don't have your wide receiver one in Corey Davis, your wide receiver two in Elijah Moore. You don't have your top three running backs in Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, and one of the Guys from last week, Austin Walter, who had a touchdown, he was out. So you're stuck with Ty Johnson, who apparently doesn't know how to catch a pass, as he dropped three on three consecutive drives in the first quarter. And Michael Pirine, who can never get on the field, and as we see, we, we see why. And then you're stuck, yeah. On the wide receiver side, you have Jameson Crowder, who is a reliable target, but, you know, isn't a game breaker. Denzel Mims, who the fans want to see be this game-breaking guy who can who could open up the field. And then what does he do? All he does is take penalties and not make plays. He he barely played in the second half. I don't even think I don't even think he did play in the second half. You, you didn't hear his name once. And I I, I think that I think that's fans would fans were complaining at the beginning of the season. Why is Mims playing? Why is Mims playing? I, I think we see why now. He's not capable of running running with his team. And I think I think we just saw, I think we saw the last of him. Like he'll he'll play the last four games, but if you really expect him to be making any kind of impact for this New York Jets team, I think you gotta kinda curb that and just kind of I think it's time you write him off as a loss. And that and that goes as a knock on general manager Joe Douglas. You know, this he knows this team needs impact players and he brought in Mims to be that impact player you want to make the case that he was brought in to run on Adam Gaze's system and it doesn't fit as well under Robert Salas with Michael Floor as the offensive coordinator I can I can work with that but you but a good NFL player can adapt to a system and make himself a contributor in that system and Denzel Mims, as of yet, has not proven that he can do that. Where I, I look at a guy like Nikhil Harry, who was drafted by the New England Patriots in 2019. He he has really been a disappointment as a first-round pick. But he does find himself a role in the New England offense when they put him in as a blocking wide receiver. He, he may not be the best catching receiver, but when they put him in to block, he does very well at that. And that helps their run game immensely. And we're seeing how that's paying dividends where the New England Patriots are in first place. Mac Jones is looking light years better than every other rookie quarterback. 
where he's not he doesn't have to be the guy who throws for 600 yards a game. He can throw for 200 and a touchdown, but the running game is going to be there for him. And everybody has their role. And I I hate giving Bill Belichick credit because, you know, we as a Jets fan, it's it doesn't feel right doing that. But you do because he knows how to get the best out of every player that's on his roster. Even even if you don't think he likes them, he he get he get he gets the best out of them. He finds something for them to do. And the Jets don't have that. And that and that's a shame. Like I, I don't know what the identity of this team is. Their their defense is atrocious, as we saw yet again. They give over two hundred yards rushing, including hundred and twenty to Taysom Hill. And look, I, I like Taysom Hill. I he's fun to watch, he's like a Swiss Army knife fun player, but that's not a guy you should be giving up 120 yards to. You want to say you gave up 120 yards to Alvin Kamara? All right. Alvin Kamara is one of the best running backs in the league. Like, I expect them to give up 120 yards to him. But Taysom Hill? No. Like, you got you got to be better than that. And we've, see, we've seen it with the Jets all season long. They get gashed for big play after big play. They don't they don't make the stops when they need to. And you when they when they go into the half down 10-6, you think okay, may, like maybe they get maybe they can get the ball moving. Things might change, maybe the defense will feed off that momentum. And it just wasn't there. The offense wasn't moving the ball, three and out after three and out. The defense just doesn't respond and that's probably wind up becoming one of the most uninspiring games of football you'll ever see. Fans leaving early, and there weren't that many fans there to begin with. Because let, let, let's be honest, what, what's what's the incentive to go to a Jet game right now? There really isn't. You you want to see Zach Wilson play? He's he's barely doing anything. You want to see any of the rookies? They're all injured. L- almost every single one of them is injured. You you want to see Mackay Beckton? Pancake somebody, he's injured too. So what? What is the? What's the end game to go into a Jet game? You know they're probably not going to win. And there's there's nobody that moves the dial as a player that you say, okay, I need, I want to go see this guy win or lose. You know, at least at the beginning of the season, there was some form of optimism. You know, you you want to get that first glimpse of Zach Wilson, and then it just all goes downhill so quick. And you, you're left wondering, how is this possible again that they're, that they're gonna waste another quarterback? And I, I don't wanna be saying that after eight games. That, that feels irresponsible. So I'm not going to say it. But I'd be lying if I didn't say it was on my mind. Because this is a team that routinely ruins quarterbacks. Because they don't know how to build around them. They don't know how to put talent there. And, and and the team is very impatient. They will move on if they think they have to. I I don't want to see them move on from just yet. I want to see what I want to see what he can do. You know, this isn't a situation where like the Arizona Cardinals several years ago, where they drafted Josh Rosen in 2018, and Kyler Murray comes along in 2019. You make that switch. That's a switch you have to make. Josh Rosen was horrendous, and Kyler Murray is, as we are seeing, a legitimate. NFL quarterback who can who can play the game. While I like Kenny Pickett, I'm a I'm a Pitt fan. I I was watching him a lot. 
he's not Kyler Murray. So if the Jets draft him, I think this whole regime loses legitimacy. I mean, they don't have much to begin with, but I think it just adds to the to the dysfunction that the Jets have had for 12, 15 years. And that, you know, as Jets fans, that's not, that's not what you want to see. You want to see this team making the playoffs. You want to see them competing for something, anything, rather than, oh, what draft, what draft position are they going to have in April? And that, that's not, that's not fun. Like, it, it's not, it's not entertaining to watch a team that you know is going to be out of it by November, and then you have to still watch those seven or eight games where they're literally playing for nothing. And that's, that's where we're at yet again. You know, they have, they have four games left. They got two in the division where they're playing Buffalo. They're playing Miami. They still have a game against Tampa. You know, and you know Tom Brady's going to love going into MetLife and just smacking the Jets around again because that's one of his favorite things to do. Then they still also have a game against Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that game might be almost as unwatchable as pretty much every other Jet game this season. Because you have two struggling rookie quarterbacks who haven't made the right decisions yet. And, you know, maybe maybe that time will come. You have Trevor Lawrence going against a bad Jet defense, so, like, maybe he, maybe he'll, maybe he'll show flashes. You have Zach Wilson going into a Jaguar defense that I, I really couldn't tell you all that much about. I know when, you know, you're two and ten, you're clearly not doing a lot right. And a team that's imploding amongst itself because Urban Meyer comes with so much baggage that I'm surprised it wasn't weighed down right at the beginning. So that game is probably going to be one of the worst games of the year. And if you wanted to say I'm not watching that game, honestly, I wouldn't blame you because let's be fair, I don't want to watch that game either. And yet I will because I'm a Jeff fan and I think there's a screw loose in my head. Now we go to the other team that plays them at Life Stadium, who aren't doing any better. The 4-9 New York Giants go out to L.A. today and get smoked by the Los Angeles Chargers. The score was 37-21, but trust me, it wasn't that close. The Giants gave up 30 unanswered points between the first and fourth quarters. Like, How do you do that? How do you not score any point? And look, I, I get it. Daniel Jones isn't playing. Mike Glennon is a is a backup for a reason. You know that's not a guy you expect to win games for you. Saquon Barkley had a decent game. Did get a receiving touchdown in garbage time. Put up 65 rushing yards. So at least he had. At least he did something. But that this giant team just does not have it. Where Justin Herbert was going up and down the field like it was nothing. Throwing for 275 yards for three touchdowns. Like how, like, how do you, how do you reconcile that if you're a Giants fan? Like, you're, like, you could have had Justin Herbert. If you, if you would have waited one year and not drafted Daniel Jones in 2019, you could have had Justin Herbert. And you, you have to wonder how the Giants fortunes would have been different if they would have done that. Like, you know, you start, you stick with Eli Manning for one more year, even though everybody knew that wasn't going to happen. And ultimately, they would have probably been in the same position as they were where they drafted Andrew Thomas last year, and they could have gotten Justin Herbert. 
and like maybe things turn around. Justin Herbert, while the Chargers aren't a world beater, he goes out there and he looks like an NFL quarterback. He throws the ball like an NFL quarterback. And right now, Daniel Jones hasn't been doing that. Mike Glennon certainly isn't doing that. And that's why you have the Giants there four nine in a division that they they could have they could have been a contender in this season. Like the Eagles are mediocre at best. The Washington football team had expectations and have completely fallen apart. Injuries didn't help them there. And while the Cowboys are good, we we all know that the Cowboys are a regular season beast and then do nothing in the playoffs, which I fully expect them to do again this year. The NFC is very tough. When you have the defending Super Bowl champions in Tampa Bay, you have three, possibly even four teams in the NFC West who could beat anybody. I'm sorry, not four. The Seahawks are terrible. I have to, I have to kind of remember what year we're talking about here. So you have three teams in the NFC West that could beat anybody in the Rams, the Cardinals, and the 49ers. I look, like I look at tomorrow night's game between the Rams and the Cardinals. Like that game's going to, Probably determine the division. The Cardinals are starting to get healthy again. Kyler Murray should be back. Chase Edmonds should be back. That that's a that's a team that you got to really keep an eye on. The Green Bay Packers, who are playing now against the Chicago Bears, they're, of course, as long as Aaron Rodgers is healthy, you always got to you always got to know that he's going to be there as a very formidable opponent. So. The Cowboys' road to a Super Bowl is not exactly easy because you're going to have to go on the road at least once, possibly twice, to make it to the Super Bowl, and you're going to have to go play in some very, very difficult environments. And while the Cowboys have a lot of talent, they haven't won, they haven't won playoff games yet. So the Giants had their chances this year, and they just, they just, Piss them all away. So if you're if you're a fan of either team that plays at MetLife Stadium, it's just another lost season in a never a seemingly never ending carousel of losing seasons. The Giants are are ripe for a rebuild. You know, Dave Gettleman is probably gonna get fired at the end of the season, and with that a new general manager will probably want a new head coach. So I imagine Joe Judge will be also shown the door if Dave Gellman is fired. And with that, do they bring in a new, do they draft another quarterback? Because the Giants would be in that same situation as the Jets were last year with Sam Darnold. New coach, new general manager, quarterback whose fifth year option is due. And is Daniel Jones someone that you want to give $20 million to? I don't think you can. I think that would be a very irresponsible thing to do. And it just, it doesn't sit right with me that, unfortunately, he got a very raw deal, got placed in a really bad situation with no offensive line, and picks that were, were brought in in the previous years to try to set Eli Manning up for one last run, but not for any kind of long-term sustainable success. And I, I believe they're trying to do that now by, uh, with the drafting of offensive linemen. With getting Kadarius Tony, they're trying to get those pieces to have that long-term success. But I think it's going to come with a new quarterback, whether it be whether it be Kenny Pickett, whether it be uh, Matt Coral from Ole Miss. I I'm not sure what I'm not sure what 
the Giants are going to do here. But I do think it's going to be moving on from Dan Jones, moving on from Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, finding a, finding a new a new general manager and coach that will have to tear this team down to the studs, just like Joe Douglas has has had to do with the Jets, and start over again. And rebuild rebuilding's not fun. No nobody no fans like it. They they know they know it sucks and they know that it's gonna come down to okay, it's gonna be another three seasons of garbage before we're before we're in a position where they might win. And you know, we you don't you don't wanna see the two New York teams be laughing stocks, especially if you're from here. You know, that that's not that's not good for the league. You want you want you want at least one team in the biggest media market in the world to be competitive and not just be fodder for you know all the all the national shows and for Skip Bayless and Colin Coward to sprout off about whatever because they're easy targets. And until they start winning, they're both gonna be easy targets. And that's that's not what this league needs. They need one of these teams to be good. And I, I think if they had their choice, it would probably be the Giants because they are, they are the, you know, one of the oldest franchises in the league. They had, they had the pedigree, they had the name, and they can probably live with the Jets being bad because it, it. I think I actually think they get a sick thrill out of it. Just like I, I get, like I, like I know most of the radio hosts probably love it that the Jets are bad because it's so much easy ammunition. That it, they will always give you something to talk about, whether it's somebody did something stupid during practice, or you know they lost by forty-seven points because they couldn't they couldn't move the ball past their own thirty-yard line. It, that that's easy for them. For the ones who watch it every day, it's not as simple. It's just not fun at all. And as we get to another ending season. Where the Jets are probably gonna be three and fourteen, or maybe four and thirteen. The Giants are gonna be five and twelve, maybe six and eleven if they get lucky. There, there's gonna be another six months of what are they gonna do? Okay, they signed this free agent. That's great. They got that. They got this guy in the draft. Okay, the optimism is gonna come back, and hopefully, it will actually hit this time. And not be okay. We're optimistic. Come week one, and then oh, they got blown out thirty-two nothing. Time to time to shut it all down again. Hopefully, we, we don't have to worry about that. Let them get through these last four games first, and then we can we can talk we can talk about the draft and the free agency come twenty twenty-two. Until then, at least the Army Navy game was good. So at least there was one good football game played at MetLife Stadium this year. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have Cubs pitcher Albert Alzali joining, so you're not going to want to miss that. You're listening to WGBB Sports Talk New York here on 1240 AM and 95.9 FM. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half of hour two of WGBB Sports Talk New York. I'm Andy Stukoff. You can hit me up on Twitter at Andy underscore Stukoff. If you've got anything you want to talk about, you know, the terrible week in football for the Jets and the Giants, you want to talk baseball, you want to talk hockey, hit me up there. I'm definitely... Definitely down for debate. You know, before we bring on Albert Alzali, we're gonna talk. We're gonna go. We're gonna go to the gridiron and talk about the Chicago football team, those lovable Bears. As on Sunday Night Football in Lambeau Field, they are currently leading the Green Bay Packers seventeen to fourteen with three and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. Justin Fields having a really nice day, seven for thirteen, one hundred and forty-two yards and two touchdowns including a 54-yard touchdown to Demir Bird. So that that's something if you're if you're a Bears fan, you're very happy with that. And that's that's actually a pretty surprising score. I figured the Packers were going to be smacking them around. And I was like I'm not I wasn't I wasn't ready to see them them winning. Hopefully they can keep it up. And we'll call, we'll go back to that in a minute as we are now joined by Chicago Cubs pitcher Adbert Alzali. Adbert, thank you so much for taking your time tonight. No, thank you guys for the invitation. Of course. So it's gonna we'll jump right into it. Uh, you know, it was your first full season in Major League Baseball with the with the Cubs this year. What what were your thoughts on you know the full 162 game grind? Uh, it was a really good experience, you know, to be able to go. Uh, all the way through, uh, play for, for the six months for the, uh, first time in the big league. Uh, I accomplished uh, a lot of things that I wanted to during, uh, this year. Like, uh, so I, I threw a, a lot of in the most in that I have done, like, about two to three years. So that was kind of like the big goal. And then my arm was healthy all the years, uh, too. So that, but that was another. Uh, goal that I had for this year. So le- last year in 2020 season, it was a 60 game season. There were not many people in the crowd, depending on where where you were playing. So this year, teams were allowed stadiums were allowed to have full capacity. How different was it seeing full crowds this season compared to last year? Oh, it was it, it, it was way way different. Last year, it felt like. Uh, we were playing in the backfield in the same training, you know, because like, I mean, we were playing in this, uh, huge baseball field, but with, with offhands and then seeing really feel with offhands, like, it felt weird. So this year, the, uh, whenever we finally got the opportunity to be a full capacity, uh, at the game, it was pretty incredible. I feel that, uh, one of my best experiences, uh, uh, from this year was my first game at Bush Stadium. That day was also the first day that they were allowed to to, to have a hundred percent capacity at that field. 
on the there was all really good they called you know, from the club so that game was was uh, really special for me so do do the play when you're on the field do you guys really feed off the crowd energy oh definitely you know, definitely like uh you can you can feel it man like in Chicago it's even crazier like you can feel uh the crowd like on you you know like you feel all the energy that uh, the fans uh, that need to you during the game. Yeah, I mean, like I, I've I've been to a game at Wrigley Field. It was one of, one of the craziest experiences of my life. Like I like definitely. I was talking earlier in the show about like a sports bucket list item, and going to a game at Wrigley Field has to be right up there. Oh my gosh, it's just it's just different over there, man. To be honest, like. It's not because they play for that team, just because, like, really feels like a special place. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking with Edward Alzali. Uh, so this year the Cubs were kind of transitioning. You know, they during the season they traded away a lot of the core of the 2016 World Champions, including Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant. So how did the clubhouse change with those guys no longer on the roster and a new group of team leaders emerging? I mean, uh, it was kind of tough. It's, uh, like, I think uh, the first month after everything happened, like, we turned away uh, all those three guys that were, like, the face of the franchise. So it was kind of hard, like, the first month. You know, you you, you were just seeing new people every single week, uh, people coming up and down. So it was kind of different, but at the same time, uh, uh, sometimes change has to happen in a team so they can take uh, another direction. So, and I feel that the way the, they're building the team right now, uh, it's, it's, it, we're going to have a pretty good product on the field next year. You know, I feel that uh, we've been adding some guys that have a really nice personality. Uh, I feel that it's going to be healthy for for the locker room in general, for example, having a trauma now with us, I feel that that is a, a healthy acquisition for us. Not 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 just because whatever he can do on the field, but all the things that he can bring to the to the locker room. Have you have you spoken to Marcus Stroman yet since he signed? Oh yeah 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 yeah. We we spoke like right away when when the deal was done. So what what are what are your goals for the 2022 season? Uh, what like what like what are what are you what is it that you're looking to accomplish for next season? Um, first of all, like I said every year, you stay healthy throughout the year, and then um, uh, help my team uh, to get to the postseason. Man, I feel that uh, this year uh, we're gonna have a, a solid like pitching rotation too, so I feel that uh, going to the next year, um, uh, my main goal is to throw in more innings than the year before, uh, get around like 180, 12 innings, so that's a, the big goal that's uh, what we're working on right now during the offseason, so that's kind of the, the plan for next year. So with that, like you, you see a lot of those stories like of, team, of players with their workout regimens during the off season. Like some guys will do yoga, some guys will hit the weights harder. What what's your workout regimen to 
get to that 180 inning mark for next season? Like, what what is it that you're doing to get there? Well, so first of all, I start like building up. You know, like I do like a lot of hiking. I do a lot of cardio. Like the first two weeks, I just starting in November. But right now, we're more in like the French program, so we're lifting heavy, heavy weight, like deadlifting or uh, squat. Like we're doing like heavy lifting, lower body, um, a lot of functional for the upper body. And then I I have my own routine uh, with uh, Pilates. Cause that's that's another thing that 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 I do. So it's just a mix and match of uh, all the three elements for me during the off season. We're talking with Albert Alzali. So, like as you've been you've been in the league for a couple of years now. Besides Wrigley Field, do you have a favorite place that you like to pitch in? To be honest, uh, yeah, I I can say that Bush Stadium is probably my second best place to go to, to go on pitch. I, to be honest, I just really like playing over there. Uh, it's just the game feels really good. Like it just feels like postseason uh, kind of team, you know, all the time that you go there and play the Cardinals. And uh, you know, you're. Like I've seen some of the some of the footage you've done for for Marquee Sports and you know talking about your relationship with the Cubs fans. What how like how is that relationship building over these couple of years that you've been in the league? Oh no, it's, I feel that I just I just go by by day. You know, I feel that I have a really good like engage with with my fans. You know, through my social media like. On Twitter, I always post like positive things to you know motivate people. I feel that uh, that's the way that that I like to start my day. You know, I, I like to, to to set like positive thoughts for me in the morning, so to go throughout the day. So now I start like sharing that in my social media, and uh, and people have been like getting back to me, and it's, it's been growing, man. So like I'm I'm pretty happy with that. I I, I really like to. to you getting in, 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 engaged with uh, with the fans, so I enjoy doing that. Absolutely, and I got just got one more here because I don't want I don't want to keep you all night. Uh, it's one of the, one of the biggest debates among fans, and it, it's been this way since it was first introduced in the seventies. Is the idea of the DH, and knowing that some players have called for a universal DH. And while some fans want to see the universal DH and others want to see pitchers hit, as a pitcher, do you like to hit or would you rather see the universal DH in the um, National League? I'm one of those pitchers pushing for the universal DH, to be honest. <laughs> Man, hitting is not that easy. Like, <laughs> hitting is one of the most difficult things to do in life, I can, I can say. So, uh, to be honest... I never like like hitting, so that's why I'm a pitcher, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, man, uh, I'm 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 so down for the university age to to come to into the national league. Because at the end of the day, then like it's just a plus for the pitcher too. Because sometimes you get out of the game with fighting, because they gotta pitch uh, uh for you because. The end of the situation, the game, the, the game is closed, so 
they they pinch it for you and say, oh, you're going six six innings um, and, and throw a quality start, and that day you just go five because you, you got out there to pinch it. So if you got a DA, so we don't have to worry about that no more. So we just have to worry about making pitches and getting out. Absolutely. And it, Albert, if it makes you feel any better, I couldn't hit either. That, that's why I'm behind the mic. <laughs> Well, Albert, I, I do want to thank you for taking the time tonight. Uh, good luck next season, and I I definitely enjoy watching you pitch. I'm looking forward to it for next season. Thank you, man. Thanks for the invitation. Have a good night, guys. Of course. That was that was Albert Alzali from the Chicago Cubs. And it, it's it, it's always cool listening to, you know, active major leaguers get to talk about what, you know, these big stories that are going on, like, like you said, you know, he's he's for the Universal DH, and there are other players that may not be. I was, I I figured like some pit like any pitcher like like Madison Bumgarner probably doesn't want it because he because he can hit, and may, and like there's nothing in the rules that says if there is a Universal DH that your manager couldn't put you in the lineup. I mean, the Angels do it with Shohei Otani, so you can do it. So there's there's that. As so now that now that baseball's in the off season and there are other factors going on, like like a lockout that hopefully should we're we're all hoping is resolved by the time spring training rolls around because we don't we don't it's like December January February it's it's no big deal like nothing's happening anyway it'll be like those last few guys signing. But then, like once spring training rolls around, like you want, you want, you want those guys there, and that that's when it will start to pick up again. But we can talk about the sports that are playing now, that have that have games playing right now, like the NHL and the red hot New York Rangers. Unfortunately, they do lose tonight, one nothing to the Nashville Predators at Madison Square Garden. But they have been playing very well of late. You know they. They had won six in a row prior to, you know, losing to the Colorado Avalanche on Wednesday. I was I was actually at that game, and it was like you couldn't look down from the ice because if you like if you looked away, you missed a goal. Like, like I they said, I I think the over under for goals was six and a half, and I decided to take the over, just just on a whim. I, I was like, all right, you know. It, it's a rookie goalie against a backup. Like, that's usually ripe for a lot of goals, even if the Rangers haven't scored against a backup goalie in, like, 25 years. And, like, before I even got to my seat, it was already one nothing. It, it was just that fast. So, it's like, you had to be watching the ice at all times or you were missing something. And that went to the tune of a 7-3 whooping by the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, they, they are scary good. And now that they're starting to get healthy again, Nathan McKinnon's back, and Miko Rantanen looks like he's starting to get hot. That's going to be a very, very tough team to beat in the Western Conference. That's why I like those midweek interconference games because those tickets are really easy to get. Because most people, if you're a Rangers fan, you want to see them play the Penguins, you want to see them play the Capitals, you want to see them play the Islanders. Nobody's thinking about those games against the Western Conference teams like 
like Edmonton or Calgary or the Kings. So those tickets are easier to get because not as many people are interested in those games, especially if they're during the week and you have to go to work the next day, which I did, and I I was very tired when I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning. But you know you can get you can get those games day of for a very reasonable price. So like don't sleep on them. And I I do have to I do have to give a quick shout out to Alexander Georgiev, even though he did lose tonight. Only only gave up one goal, and after his early season struggles, where he was giving up goal like every thirty two seconds, it felt like since Igor Shesterkin went down, he's really stepped up and has played pretty well. Like, I, I I do have to give him credit for that. I I was I did badmouth him a little bit in in the games leading up to Igor's injury because he what he wasn't playing well. And I, I had said that they should have, that the Rangers missed their window to trade him for a King's, not, maybe not a King's ransom, maybe a Prince's ransom in the off season. And then having struggles early in the season kind of puts your trade value at nothing. Now playing well in Igor's absence for the last week or so does help, does help him and does start to garner some favor with the Rangers fan base because they, they, they don't want to see, they don't want to see him be bad. Like they want him to be good because whether it be that he's going to play for the Rangers or he's going to be traded, if he's good, that means that it's better. It's better value for him when it comes time to make that deal. If he's bad. You're getting a bag of pucks and that's if you're lucky. So I, I look at that. I want him to, I want him to, I want him to keep playing well while Chesterkin is out, which hopefully shouldn't be too much longer, maybe like another game or two. You know, Georgiev can handle that until then. And then Igor comes back, Georgiev plays once every couple weeks, and then everything is back to normal. Rangers are playing well. They, after Friday, when they beat Buffalo, they were the number one team in the, in the NHL. Not just the Metropolitan Division. Not just the Eastern Conference, the entire National Hockey League. If you would have told me that at the beginning of the season, that 25 games in, that they would be the best team in the league, I'd have said, points-wise, I would have said, you're crazy. And look, things will eventually even themselves out. The Rangers will have a streak where they lose 5 of 6, or 7 of 10. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, let it happen now and not in April, when when playoff position could be really could be really important. But going out there and starting a season seventeen four and three, and I think I think now like eighteen six and three, like that's that's great. Who 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 wouldn't have signed up for that? Especially with a first year head coach with the Rangers. He's been he's been in the league forever, Gerard Gallant. And he wins wherever he goes. I mean, we had this discussion last month. He took Columbus to the playoffs, which nobody does. He took the Vegas Golden Knights to the Stanley Cup final in his first year. So all this guy does is win. Kind of like Elaine Vigneault, with the exception of the Philadelphia Flyers, because they're just, they're just a dumpster fire. But everywhere that Elaine Vigneault went, 
prior to that, he won. Like he he took the Vancouver Canucks to the Stanley Cup Finals and went to the playoffs multiple times with them. He took the Rangers to the Stanley Cup Final his first season, and then got to the Eastern Conference Finals a year and went to the playoffs multiple times. So guys like that, they know how to win. And now it's just a matter of can the Rangers get over that hump? Can they can they get there? They and they have the core to do it. Like if they if they can. They can win those divisional games, which they've thus far, thus far proven that they can. And they can keep it going. They're, they're going to be a very, very tough out in the playoffs. That, that's what, that's what I want to see. I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited to see what they do for the rest of the season. Like I said, like, we're gonna, we'll move, we'll move on from that, cause, you know, there's not really much to say about a one nothing game. Fun fun story today. I I didn't want to watch the Jet game, so I decided to do something a little different. A few months ago, I had Rich Lisk from the New York Riptide on, and I had said to him at the end of the show that when the season started, I would make it out to a game. So I decided today was going to be that day. And I, I've never been to a lacrosse game before. I the the only thing I I really knew about lacrosse was that it was kind of like hockey on a field. And I know you're saying, Andy, that they have that. It's called field hockey. I I, I know. I'm just kind of I'm kind of generalizing here. So I just, I decided to go, and I was like, all right, I'm I'm going to learn as I go, and I learned a lot today. And unfortunately, the Riptide lost. I'd score fourteen to ten to the Georgia Swarm, but I did. I did learn a lot today. Like apparently, offsides, not a thing in indoor lacrosse. Like I, I vaguely recall it being a thing in like outdoor lacrosse, but don't quote me on that. It's been like ten years since I actually watched the game. Slashing, legal and seemingly encouraged. Like, they, like, right in the beginning of the game, like, I just saw this guy get whacked by two guys just, like, whacking their stick at him, trying to knock the ball out of his, out of the, out of his stick. And I was like, isn't that a penalty? And I'm like, wait, nope, that's hockey, that's a penalty where, like, you, you break his stick and you're, you're going, you're going to the box for two minutes. Nope, and, and lacrosse, apparently you can do that. Who knew? I have, I'm watching, I was like, okay, good, good to know, slashing okay. And the New York Riptide have absolutely fire jerseys. Their uniforms are sick. They kind of look like an offshoot of the New York Islanders fisherman jerseys, but done right. Like 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 everybody now likes the New like they like the fisherman jersey now because it's quote retro, but they're still ugly. And I don't care what anybody says; those things are hideous and should never see the light of day again. The Riptide did it right. Because their logo plays well for those colors. As I'm, I'm actually wearing my Riptide shirt right now, where they, it is like the Riptide, like, like what you would see out in the ocean, with some teal, some blue, some orange. And it, it, it looks good, and it, it works well for the color scheme. So I, I do, I gotta give them credit there, whoever designed their jerseys and designed their logo did an A-plus job, and, that that's definitely one that has staying power. 
and the the wins I believe will come because they do they do from what I saw have a good roster. They have a they have a top line that can put the put the ball in the net seemingly at will. Also, I I don't know if it was just the padding that lacrosse goalies wear, but they all look like absolute units. I'm like, there's there is no space between goalie and net. Like where like where are you shooting? I was actually I was almost a little surprised when it was two two in the first five minutes of the game. Like this game's gonna be like ninety seven ninety five at the end of it's, it's like a, it's gonna be like watching like NBA Jam where it's just like every shot goes in. Things kind of work themselves out and fourteen ten seems like a normal ish lacrosse score. I again if I go to more as I go to more games, learn more, I'll see if that's actually the case or not. I'm sure it is. And I I got to I got to say I also love their mascot. I I figured it was going to be like a I figured it was going to be a Nassau Coliseum staple with Sparky the Dragon. I was wrong. It's Eddie. And I will I hate to admit it took me longer than I would like to say to actually get it. Cuz like I'm sitting there like I see the mascot come over and I'm I'm at the game with my dad and I ask him like what do you what do we call this thing? Like like what is it? And the mascot turns around. It's got Eddie on his back, and my dad looks at me and goes, "You call it Eddie?" And I'm like, "Okay." And then, like, as they're doing like the introductions, and I was like, "Oh!" I, and just like ten, fifteen minutes later, I'm like, "Oh, I just got it." As it, it is like it is a an, an ocean water term. I forgot. I forgot to look it up, but I rem- I did remember that. So I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what it is. That's really creative. Well done." It just took me a lot longer than I'd like to admit to to get there. As we got a couple minutes left here on the show, I'm just going to talk about something from last night. Uh, the Heisman Trophy was awarded to Alabama quarterback and hopefully not future Jet, but if he is, that would be okay, Bryce Young. And he dominated the voting, got, it, got like 2,100 points, got the, the lion's share of first place votes. And you kind of knew it was going to happen, and he had a great season in the SEC. And if you have a great season in the SEC, like you're going to win every award imaginable. And for Alabama, that's their second straight Heisman Trophy winner, as Devontae Smith won last year. And I, I was, I don't want to say surprised. Like I, I knew he was going to win. Like we, we all did. Like once he, once he put that 97 yard drive together against Auburn in the Iron Bowl two weeks ago. You knew that was it. Like, like they're winning. The, they are absolutely winning. The, he's winning that whole thing. As a biased Pittsburgh fan, I would have loved to have seen Kenny Pickett win. He finished in third, got the most third place votes, got some second place votes, probably got a couple first place votes. Like I, had, like I had to think Tony Dorsett voted for him. And finishing in second place was Michigan Edge and possibly future Jet, Aiden Hutchinson. As he had, he had a fantastic season for the Michigan Wolverines, and I, I, I think it's, I think it's time we see more defensive players get nominated and winning the Heisman Trophy. Like far, far too long, it's been if you're the best quarterback or the best running back, you're going to win the award. Why shouldn't defensive players get it? Like I think, I think Adamkin Sue should have won it the year that he was nominated. Aaron Donald probably should have won it. There are so many defensive players who you can make the case 
should be should have Heisman trophies to their names, and the fact that only Charles Woodson has one seems wrong. We we should be seeing more defensive players get there, and I I'm here to lobby for them. While I also would like to lobby for Kenny Pickett, defensive players get love too, and they they deserve that. It shouldn't just be it shouldn't just be for the best quarterback or the best the best running back, and more specifically the best quarterback or the best running back in the SEC. You know, we, we know those guys are good. We know those guys are going to go to the league. Like, let, let, let's let's see those guys that maybe don't get all the accolades from from all the TV personalities. That why don't we see them hold up that hold up that trophy? I I like it. I always want to touch. I want to hold that one day. That we'll see if that ever happens. That's going to do it for me. Got to thank Brian. Got to thank Albert Azali for joining me tonight. So that's it for me. Have a happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. We'll be back sometime in 2022. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm Andy Sukoff. I'm out. expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.